Hi there, my name is Neil Gorman, and you are listening to my podcast, which is called The Gorman Limit. Thanks for taking the time to download it, for putting it in your ears or on your speakers and listening to it. I appreciate that. It's nice of you. And uh, hopefully the things that I say into this microphone today and that you listen to at some point in the future, wherever you are, will be interesting and useful to you. That's what I'm really hoping here. I wasn't sure I was going to do this podcast today. I uh, had a weird day. My day started out the way that many of my days do. Uh, I started, you know, I woke up, I got myself together, started my day. And in pretty short order, I found myself sitting in front of a computer and, you know, started doing things, reading stuff, typing things. And uh, I started to get a headache and I was like, oh, that's not cool. I don't like that. But I didn't do anything about it. I was like, it'll go away. It didn't go away. It got worse and worse and worse. And I kept on thinking to myself, um, you know, I got a lot of stuff to do. I'll just, it'll go away. And I was totally wrong. What ended up happening was the headache got really bad. I mean, super, super atrocious bad. And uh, it got so bad that just like looking at my computer screen and, and the light coming off my computer screen what became extremely painful. And in fact, looking at any kind of light became extremely painful. Looking at light coming in from the windows, really hard. Looking at light coming from the lights, really hard. So what I ended up having to do was, you know, just like close my laptop and uh, go someplace where I could lie in a, a dark area with something over my eyes and, you know, just like lay there and and not have light be a part of my life for a little bit. And it was super weird doing this because, uh, you know, on in, on one hand, it, it was, was kind of nice and sort of relaxing to lie down somewhere and be like, oh, I'm, I'm lying here not doing anything. It's uh, oddly pleasant to be doing this. And at the same time, on the other hand, it was also kind of like anxiety producing to not be doing anything. You know, I, I have a lot of, like, you're, you're probably similar to me, I, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Uh, people are busy nowadays. And, you know, you have, you have jobs, you have emails, you have, uh, I have kids. They're, life is moving, 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 moving. And as a result, like, I'm, I'm part of what I call the thousand mile an hour club. I'm always trying to keep up with uh, a really, really very fast paced life. And, and it's not always a good idea to do that, I guess. Right. You know, uh, cause if, if you, you do that, you might end up in a place where your something happens to you. Like what happened to me, where you, you give yourself a headache that's so bad that you can't actually continue. And it's not very fun when you do that. So, uh, I don't know. That's my warm up for today. It's just to say that if you're ever in a position where you find yourself working at your computer, and uh, you start to get that, that kind of headache, which I think of as a computer headache. <laughs> a computer headache is a headache which is not created by noise. It is a headache that is created by, I think, sitting in this, that the position that you sit in when you tend to be working at a computer, you know, we're looking at a screen for long periods of time. That can create this, the, this kind of headache, the kind that I had, not, not the kind that gets, like the headache I had today, if things were loud, it didn't matter. If they were quiet, it didn't matter. Noise was just a non-factor in my headache. What was a huge factor was light. Uh, that uh, that was really unbearable. I, I think of that as, as like a computer headache. Um, that headache is really bad. It's like it's like that really just sort of like, you know, 
uh, icicle going, you know, sort of in that area behind your eye and just like, like making you hurt really bad anytime you look at light. It was that kind of headache. If you're not careful, you know, you can, you can give yourself those sorts of headaches. Don't do it. It's a really bad idea. When you start to get a headache looking at the computer, it's time to take a break. Learn from my mistake if you can. Uh, but anyways, none of this is, is what I'm going to be talking about today. What am I going to be talking about today? It would be good to tell you that, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Uh, what I want to talk about on the podcast today is uh, a concept and tell you a couple stories around a concept. Here's the concept. The concept is uh, we all screw up. Uh, you know, we this is nothing that's a huge revelation to anybody. I'm 100% positive. We all screw things up, probably a lot more than we want to. And uh, sometimes we screw things up. And we screw it in, in a way where we're the only ones who know about it, right? Like we screwed something up, but no one saw it. It's you're the only witness to it. You know, that, that's one kind of screw up. But a lot of times we screw things up and we have an audience, right? Like there's people around seeing us screw things up. And I think that can be kind of uncomfortable for most people. And I, I have found like looking at my, the way that I have, you know, behaved in my own life and watching other people kind of do things in their lives. I find that when people screw up, when there's an audience, they uh, can react in a variety of different ways. And I think there's some ways that are probably going to be to make life easier. And there's some ways that if you react, they're going to make life harder. So what I want to do today is tell you a couple of different stories about screwing things up, about making mistakes, uh, about doing something that could potentially be embarrassing and the different ways that people could or did respond to those mistakes. I hope that they're interesting stories. I hope that you find them useful. I hope that when you hear them, they'll make you go, huh, yeah, that's not bad, Gorman. That's not bad. That's some good stuff you made there. So uh, anyways, hopefully I've piqued your, your interest. Hopefully you'll, you'll stick around. I'm going to play a little bit of music here. When we come back from the music, I'll be telling you the first story. Let me try to set up this this first story for you. Uh, this first story takes place when I am in my early 20s. And when I was in my early 20s, you know, some people, their early 20s is a good time for them. They, they have a good time at that point in their life. I am not one of those people. My early 20s were not a good time for my life. I, uh, you know, I, I was not good at being social. I, I was a, I was one of those people who like, I don't know, like I, other people, when I was, when I was in my twenties, I would see other people who were were good at being like around other people, being social, and I was man, like I'd think to myself, how do they do that? But uh, I could do it, you know. I wasn't I wasn't crippled. I wasn't like unable to be around people. I just when I was around people, I was nervous. Uh, that's a, a good way to describe it. And I was probably shy. I, I didn't talk a lot when I was around people. But I would go and I would do things. I would be around people. This story takes place on an evening when I had I was hanging out with people. 
it wasn't a huge party or anything like that. It was a, a small gathering of people who I, you know, had met and gotten to know a little bit. Somebody said, Hey, I'm having people over. You want to, you want to come over and hang out? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so I went over and I was hanging out and other people were over there. They were hanging out and uh, it was a summer evening. I was in this person's apartment and there was a guy there named Brian and this guy named Brian is a dude who is, uh, who was unlike me. He was really good, I think, at being social. If he was in any way anxious about being around other people, I would have been shocked because he never displayed things that would make me think that it was difficult for him to be around other people. He was one of those 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 dudes who uh, seemed to be in a pretty good mood most of the time. Uh, he made you laugh a lot. He was very funny without trying to be funny. He could just do things and say things and people were laughing because he was uh, really unafraid, I think, maybe would be a good way to put it, unafraid to just uh, try things, you know, say things and see what happened after he said them or after he did them. Uh, he was a lot of fun to be around. He was one of the people who was at this gathering. And I was sitting on a couch you know, talking with people. And uh, there was a sliding glass door, you know, that went out to a, like a patio. And, you know, there's people outside and there's people inside. And, uh, you know, some people were, were, were drinking that, that evening. And I don't know how long they'd been at it. Uh, maybe they were at it before I arrived. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. Brian was one of those guys who, uh, he had a beer in his hand when, when this part of the story takes place. So he was, uh, I saw him, he was hanging out with some people kind of near where I was having a conversation then you know he decided that he was going to go outside and you know see what the people outside were talking about so he he turns away from the people you know who he's he's talking to he heads towards the the patio door that sliding glass door uh, and he must have thought that that door was open because he walked right into it just he he walks into the door thud wah, 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 right walked right in the sliding glass door and everybody saw this happen. I saw it happen. The people sitting around me saw it happen. The people inside and outside all saw this happen, right? He just did this super embarrassing thing. And uh, he, without missing a beat, he turns and he looks at, you know, me and the group of people who I'm sitting with, you know, the group of people who he had previously been kind of talking to. And he says, and for my next trick, and then he goes and he opens the door and walks out and then closes the door. And the reason I'm telling you that story, it's a part of this podcast, is because I think it's a good setup. I think it's a good way to, to frame the point that I'm going to be trying to make as I talk to you about this and, and tell some more stories about it. What this dude Brian was able to do, yeah, when, he, when he made an error, when he did something that was wrong, when he did something that could absolutely be uh, one of those moments where if I had done that, I would have been terribly embarrassed, right? He did not have that reaction. Instead, his reaction was not to attempt to uh, pretend as though this hadn't happened, which is probably what I would have done if it would have been me. Would have been like, oh, let's just pretend everybody noticed, but I'm just going to uh, uh, act like nobody noticed and uh, probably leave. That would have been my move, right? His move was that just totally happened. I'm going to acknowledge it in a really overt way. I'm going to be like, hey, I just made a mistake and uh, call everybody's attention to it because actually 
everybody's attention is already on it. I'll just be like, yep, that totally happened. I did that. And then, you know, try to turn it into a bit of a joke. I think that this is a really good idea. Um, now, the, the, the first part is really the important thing. The, because you can't do the second part if you don't do the first part. The first part is when you do something, when you screw something up, when you make a mistake, when you engage in an error of some sort, you can pretend like you didn't just do something wrong. You can pretend like you didn't make an error. And I think if you take that path, people will see that and it will actually make the error that you have just committed loom even larger uh, because you're trying to cover it up. The effect of attempting that kind of disavowal, I think, is usually that the error just becomes more apparent. It, it People pay more attention to it. And, you know, that is probably not what you want to have happen. Now, if you do the other thing, the thing that Brian did, you know that you've committed the error. You know that your audience has seen you commit the error. So rather than disavowing it, you avow it. You go, I just did a dumb thing. I just made a mistake. Uh, if you acknowledge it and you own it, uh, you avow it, what, what becomes possible, I think, is the ability to, in, in a sense, take the thing which could be embarrassing and turn it into something that is actually hilarious. But we have to avow, we have to acknowledge what we did wrong. Uh, there's other times where we might not be able to turn it into something hilarious, but we can turn it into something that is useful for other people. We can turn it into, um, this is going to sound super like cliche, but we can turn it into kind of like a lesson, a usable lesson. But again, even that is going to be contingent upon us doing what this dude Brian did in my story when we commit the error, uh, saying it, instead of trying to to hide, instead it's like jumping in to the spotlight that everybody's shining on you and being like, yep, I just did that thing that you saw me do. I own it. I avow it. I acknowledge it. And once you've done that, it opens up a series of options that I think are good options, all probably better options than just pretending like you didn't do the thing that you just did. So that's my opening move here. Uh, hopefully I've caught your attention at this point and uh, you'll stick around and you'll listen to me talk about this a little bit more and tell a few stories about it. So here's what I want to do on this section of the podcast. What I want to do is tell you a story, share an anecdote with you. And the point of the story is for me to hopefully illustrate that uh, <laughs> it's a really bad idea to do a very particular thing. And that particular thing would be to act as if you understand what people mean when they say things when you have no idea. And the reason I want to share this story is uh, because when I was a young person, younger person, one of the many things that I was very scared of was the possibility of looking like I wasn't smart, looking as if I didn't know what was going on, right? And because I was scared of that, because I wanted to look so wise, I would 
more often than I would like to admit, uh, hear people talking about things and I would act as if I knew what they were talking about. Give you a quick example of this, right? Um, when I was in getting my undergrad, I was majoring in history and one time I remember I was, I was talking to a group of people and one of them referenced the thinker Claude Levi-Strauss. And at the time that this happened, I had no idea, zero idea who Claude Levi-Strauss was, right? But here I am, I'm in a conversation with people and they're talking about Claude Levi-Strauss and I get the impression, okay, he's an anthropologist. Um, he wrote a book called The Savage Mind. I'm following the conversation that these other people are having and at a certain point, I get invited to kind of like join in with the conversation. And what would have been a good idea in that instant would have been to say, like, I probably don't have a whole lot that I can contribute because I've never read a single word that Claude Levi-Strauss has written. I've just heard about him for the first time in this conversation with the two of you. I'm a total novice. I don't know anything. Tell me more about what you know, please. That would have been a really good move in that situation. But instead, I didn't do that. Instead, I tried to pass it off as if I had read this book that they were talking about. Maybe not like I'd read the whole thing, but like I'd read part of it for a class or something, but I hadn't read the whole thing. So I tried to kind of construct this thing where like, yeah, I've read that, but I didn't read the whole thing. It was for a class and I was busy. And so I couldn't like, you know, and it was a long time ago. So like, you know, I was trying to do it like that, which was an absolute fiction. And, you know, looking back at it today, I can, I'm fairly certain that I looked pretty dumb, which is funny, right? It's paradoxical. In an attempt to not look as if I was this uninformed, unintelligent, out-of-the-know person, I believe today, looking back, that the people who I was communicating with uh, were able to see through what I was attempting to do and that when they saw through it, they didn't like what they saw. They saw somebody who was insecure and really trying to be impressive. And they weren't that excited by that. They thought, uh, no, we're not going to hang out with this guy. And they didn't. Uh, you know, that was that was something that could have gone differently. I think if I would have been more secure, and in being more secure, would have been more able to just own and admit that I don't know something. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand what you guys are saying. I mean, I can follow it to a degree, sure. But uh, I'm not informed in the way that you're informed. You're using a set of vocabulary and a set of references that are foreign to me. I'm interested and I'll participate to the extent that I can. But, you know, I can't, I probably can't add too much to this conversation. That would have been the better way to go. Because really, when you think about it, you know, if you go into a conversation and it's people, you know, two or more people talking about something that they're really into, that they really care about, that they really like a bunch and they're talking with each other about it, and you don't know what that thing is, you don't know anything about it, if you instead just kind of be like, hey, what you're talking about is interesting, but I don't know a lot about it, can you kind of catch me up, give me some broad strokes, you know, help me help me understand this person's major ideas or something like that, they're probably going to like doing that. People like to talk about things that they really care about. People like to talk about things that they're really interested in. So if you give them an opportunity to do that, my guess is they're probably going to be happy, you know, that you've given them that opportunity. And at the same time, you're going to be somebody who does this really important thing that is kind of hard to do, which is reveal how secure and flexible and perhaps even strong you are by embracing 
all of the things that make you insecure and lacking, right? Uh, if you don't know something, rather than trying to appear like you know about this thing uh, so that you look strong, it's a lot better to just sort of, what actually ends up being strong is instead saying, I don't know anything about this. This is one of those weird paradoxes, I guess. One of those times where maybe um, one's initial reaction is to try to appear as though you are something that you just are not because you're afraid that if you don't appear that way, then, you know, in my case, anyway, people just won't like you. Uh, well, in fact, you know, if you try to appear to be something that you are not, uh, that's actually a lot less likable than just being like, I don't know about that. Right. So that's sort of the point here of the story that I'm about to tell you. That's what I'm going to try to illustrate with this story. sometimes to make these things because I've got a lot going on. And uh, what happened in this particular instance is I recorded the section of the podcast that you just listened to. And, you know, I, I was like, okay, cool. And I got ready and I hit record and I started to record the part that you're listening to now. And uh, then there were sounds coming. I record this in generally in an office in my basement. And there were sounds that were coming from above me that made me think, that there might be a small child that was having some kind of a negative experience. And so I decided that I was going to go up and see what was going on with him. And then, you know, uh, we got to playing and uh, that was fun. And so I did that for a while. Then he had to go to bed and da, da, da. So hours have gone by. None of this matters. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Um, just seemed like a good way to start this section, I guess. So that's how I started it. But what we're going to do in this section, what I'm going to do, in this section is attempt to tell you a story and it's going to be sort of like the opposite of the story that I just told you in the previous section. In that story, I, you know, was a young man and I tried to make myself look like somebody who was, you know, smart and informed and cool and stuff. When I wasn't, uh, I tried to pretend to act as if I were these things and it didn't work out very well. And in this story, what I'm going to try to do is show you how doing like the opposite of that actually ended up working out for me a lot better. Does that sound good? Great, because that's what I'm going to do. So let me set the stage for you real quick here. Uh, the way that this, the, the things that are going on in my life at the time of this story, it is it takes place shortly after I have gotten out of college. So I went to a community college. After that, I bounced over to a state school. I got a degree in history. I got certified to teach middle school and high school. And, you know, in the summer I graduated, summer came, and I started to do the thing that you do when you want to teach. I started to apply for jobs like crazy. 
I applied at all sorts of jobs, all sorts of places. I would spend uh, good portions of my days sitting and filling out applications for jobs. And occasionally I would be asked to do an interview and I'd go in and I'd do an interview and some time would go by and then I would hear from the people who I interviewed with and they'd be telling me, you know what, we're sorry, but we're not going to be hiring you. And they had different reasons for not hiring me. You know, they found somebody with more experience. They found somebody they liked better. I don't know. There, there was always a reason that they weren't hiring me. And that was really hard, you know, because I was young, I was enthusiastic. I really wanted to teach. And on top of all of that, I had debt. You know, I, I owed money to a lot of people. Getting an education is not cheap. And I had, you know, I was renting this place and I, I needed to pay the rent and I had a car that, I, you know, I was financing and I was trying to pay it. So life was stressful. And I knew, you know, as the summer kind of started to wind down uh, that I needed to find a way to make some money. And so what I decided to do is get a job at a call center. I was working at a call center. I was tech support. And uh, so I would sit around and I would take calls and people would be saying, I can't make my printer work. And I would try to help them make their printer work or their Wi-Fi or something like that, right? That was, that was what my job was. And that was a good job for me at this moment because it was extremely flexible. The call center was open 24 hours a day and they kind of like always needed people. And so I could, you know, I could work a lot or I could work a little. If I worked a lot, I got more money. If I worked a little, I got a little money. And the reason that was good is because at the same time that I was doing that, I was also attempting to be a substitute teacher. I was, I was, you know, when it was clear to me that I wasn't going to get a regular job teaching, I started to fill out a different set of applications in order to become like a, a registered substitute teacher in a variety of different school districts. And so that's the other thing I was trying to do. And that's where this story that I'm about to tell you takes place. I've done these things. I'm working in a call center. Don't really care for it that much. It's not really fun work, but I need money, so I'm doing it. I've applied to be a substitute teacher a lot of places. And my hope is that if I substitute teach somewhere, you know, enough times that I'll get to know people. And if there's like a, then a job opening there that, you know, people will like vouch for me or something because they, they saw me substitute teach and they think I'm an okay guy. That's kind of what I'm going for. One day uh, I got a call and it was a call from an acquaintance of mine, a guy that I knew, you know, I think from, yeah, we had uh, like had some classes together when we were, in university together. And uh, we weren't friends. We weren't like buddies or anything like that, but we knew each other. We had hung out. We knew a lot of the same people. And this guy's calling me and I answer my phone and I say, Hey, what's up? And he tells me that uh, he asked, you know, how are you? We shoot the shit for a little bit, go back and forth. And uh, eventually he tells me that he's teaching in a GED prep program. And uh, this GED prep program is with kids who are in the criminal justice system. So w what that means is there's kids, they are, they've done something bad. They've gotten arrested. They've gotten incarcerated. They're waiting for uh, the legal system to, I don't know, do whatever it does so that they can kind of figure out what's next for them. And while they're going through this process, one of the things that they can do is they can go to this program and learn things uh, that might be helpful for them if they're going to take a GED test at some point in time. Uh, let's do a quick sidebar here real fast about GEDs. Uh, there are a few, not a lot, but there are a few people who listen to this podcast, if my uh, stats tracking stuff is correct, that do not reside in the United States. 
those of you who do not reside in the United States, you might be hearing this thing GED and you're like, what is a GED? I will try to tell you this quickly. A GED is, um, stands for General Education Development. And what it is, is it's a test that people can take. And if they pass the test, then that is an equivalent of having a high school diploma. And people can take that then and get into a college or a university. You can't get into a college or a university if you haven't graduated from high school. And there are some people for whom going back to high school is like not really a very realistic option. They're too old. Um, they're in jail or prison, stuff like that. And for those sorts of individuals, a GED might be something that they would get. The kids that my acquaintance was working with were kids who were incarcerated. And this is something that was being offered to them. They could do this. And uh, so that's what he was doing. And he wanted to take a vacation. He wanted to go somewhere with his wife. They were going to be gone for like two weeks. I think they were going to go someplace really glamorous. I think they were going to go to Hawaii or something. And the only thing that he needed to do in order to get his vacation approved was find somebody who was a certified teacher who could come in for three weeks and work at this place. You know, why three weeks if he's only going to be gone for two? Good question. Here's why. Uh, the place wanted somebody to show up and for one week shadow this guy, kind of see how he did what he did, you know, kind of figure it out and see how it's done. And then, you know, he'd, he'd go and then you'd be there for two weeks teaching on your own and then he'd come back and you'd be gone. That was the plan. And he said, you know, would you be interested in doing this? And I said, I, I actually thought it sounded kind of interesting, right? I'm like, hmm, you know, it's not what I was thinking I was going to do with myself with a degree in history and a teacher certification, but it sounds cool. How much does it pay? And he told me, and it was actually more than like your typical sub gig would pay, like, like a decent amount more. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'll do that, man. It sounds a lot better than working at a call center. And so, uh, you know, we set it up. I went in, I did this kind of sort of orientation -y thing. I followed him around and kind of hung out while he did his thing in this classroom, which really wasn't a classroom. It was a room with a lot of computers, a lot of books. Kids would sit at desks and, you know, do things and they'd sit at computers and do things. And something became pretty apparent to me as I was watching this. I, I would see that there were some kids who yeah, were kind of interested in doing this. Like they wanted to get their GED. They, this was something that they seemed kind of motivated to do. And they would work on stuff to do that. Then there was another group of kids that were not interested probably in getting their GED. It's just that being in this room, I guess, was probably better than being some other place in the facility. And so they they came there and what they would do is they'd sit at tables and they'd draw or they'd uh, write lyrics that they thought were going to turn into rap songs, things like that. They didn't usually bother anybody. They kind of minded their own business. They weren't like acting out or anything. They just weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. I even remember asking my acquaintance, uh, friend type person about that. And his attitude was like, Hey, you know, you can't make people want to do something as long as they're here, they're awake. They're not bothering other people. I don't really see the harm in it. And cause you know, who knows, maybe they'll actually decide that they want to do it, you know, but if I hassle them and, you know, try to do this, like I'm an authority, you're going to do what I say kind of thing, then it becomes less likely that they'll actually buy into getting their GED, which is probably a good idea. And so I try not to hassle them, right? We have this weird sort of like um, armistices, right? Like they're, they're not gonna act in ways that make my life difficult. I'm in turn 
not going to act in ways that would make their life difficult. We get along. That's the way that this works. And I was like, okay, I think I get it. I understand. Um, that's not one of the things that I see. But one of the other things that I see during this first week when I'm there is that there are like, there are groups of kids that are clearly like the, they're, they're in a group and this group really doesn't like another group of kids. And I remember asking my acquaintance friend type person about that. And he was like, yeah, they're in different gangs. That's pretty much how that works. Right. So they're not, you know, well, they're here. Uh, gang representation is like a really big no, no. It, it, it just makes your life more difficult because if that guy gets reported to like a probation officer or a judge, it's like probably more time. They don't want that. And so, uh, there, again, it's like a, it's like a cold war among different gangs in, in this place. I'm like, okay, I got that too. Um, but what was going for me, right? I, I had not at this point in my life, I did not know people really who were in gangs. I, I had grown up in the suburbs. I, I had heard people say they were in gangs, but they were like not really in gangs. These kids, these teenagers that I was working with in this facility, they were definitely in gangs. And, uh, I was like, Oh, yeah, I, you know, I didn't, this was uncharted territory for me. I didn't know what to do, you know, with this like kind of thing. And I, the acquaintance friend type person was just like, dude, you know, just treat it like it's not a big deal. Cause it's, this is, this is part of their life. This is, this is something which is very commonplace for them. Yeah. It may not be commonplace for you or for me, but it's commonplace for them. And really, as long as it's not a problem, like don't make a big deal about it and everything will be okay. Got it. Um, but be that as it may. I was, I had this weird idea in my head that at any moment something could be said, something could happen and that, uh, all hell was going to break loose, right? Like somebody would say something or like, I don't know, throw down a gang sign in some kind of disrespectful way. And another kid would see it. And the next thing I, I knew I would be in like, you know, total chaos. That, that was a thing that I was afraid of happening when I was going into this job. So that kind of sets the stage for you. Right, that's the stuff that happened during that first week. What I'm going to tell you next is what happened as I went into the second week of doing this. my acquaintance who's been doing this and seems very comfortable. He goes on his vacation. I am now on my own in this place. Monday comes around. It goes okay. Tuesday comes around. It also goes pretty good. Wednesday comes around. And, you know, at this point, we're kind of getting through the week. Uh, me being like this new person. And I, I got the impression that these kids in this facility had been told like, if this uh, dude who's substitute teaching reports any kind of issues, we're going to really throw the book at you. So don't, don't let's not have any issues. Cause if he says there's issues, you're in a lot of trouble, more trouble than you normally been. I think that's kind of what happened. 
So the the kids, the teenagers, they were like on their best behavior for a good two days. As we started to get into the third day, that kind of started to wear off a little bit. There was stuff that wasn't supposed to happen was happening. More swearing, more, uh, I don't know. Um, they started asking me questions that were kind of like, you know, personal. And uh, then they would they would say things that, that they were like pushing it. You know what I mean? They'd be like, hey, you got a girlfriend? Is she hot? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. They were, uh, which they weren't doing the, that kind of stuff in the, the previous two days. They they started to, I think, start to try to figure out where my boundaries were, I guess. That's what's going on. And uh, Thursday rolls around really early in the day. You know, I have different groups of kids. They're not all there like all day. I have like a, a group of kids comes down and they're there for like 90 minutes and then they shift out and a different group of kids comes in and they're there for like 90 minutes and it goes on and on like this for a while. And uh, I think I've had like two groups cycle through by this point. I'm on the third. And uh, this group of kids comes in and uh, there's this one kid uh, the whole time that I've been there. He doesn't ever do any work. He just kind of comes in. He sits down at a table. He has a notebook and he tends to like draw in his notebook. And uh, I got the impression that a lot of the other kids didn't really like him and that he didn't really like anybody. He was like a loner, I guess you might say, uh, off on his own. So as he's drawn... Other kids are doing other stuff. I'm kind of bouncing around. Hey, you need help? Anything I can do for you? What are you working on? You know, that kind of thing. This kid, I hear him tear a page of paper out of his notebook and he crumples it up. And then he takes that piece of paper and he tries to throw it from where he's sitting into a garbage can. Garbage can's not that far away from him. It's not a crazy thing. Um, uh, But... It's, it, it's not like an impossible shot is what I'm trying to say, but it's also like not what I'd call an easy shot for him to make. If you're, if you're playing like that, that throw the piece of paper in the garbage can slash basketball game. So he tries to do it and the piece of paper doesn't make it into the garbage can. It bounces off of like another piece of furniture and then like ends up kind of like hitting another kid um, landing on his desk. And the kid now who has been hit by the piece of, he wasn't hit that hard, but he was, it hit him. Uh, I saw it happen. The kid has been hit by the piece of paper, you know, stands up really fast, right? Chair falls back behind him, right? So he stood up fast enough to knock his chair over. And he turns around and he looks at the other kid through the piece of paper. And he's like, you know, is this yours? You threw this at me? And the, the loner kid was just like, yep. You know, calm doesn't care about what's happening here. And the kid who's been hit is like getting angrier. And he's like, why'd you do that? And he's like, dude, I was trying to get that piece of paper in the garbage can. It didn't work out. You got hit. And uh, so what, what you're seeing in this situation, I'm describing this well, I'm hoping I am. You have one kid being extremely blase. He's just thrown the piece of paper that's hit the other kid. The kid who's been hit is really mad about this, really worked up. And, uh, it's, it's, he's escalating and, uh, the kid who's getting angry, you know, points at the kid who's being blase and he says, I'm going to drop a slip on your ass. And the kid who threw the piece of paper, he looks at me, he goes, you do that. Go right ahead. And, uh, at that point, a third kid who is like super gigantic this is this kid is like the biggest kid in the room. This kid, you know, is uh, 
just by standing up, he is physically intimidating. And he looks at the kid who's through the paper and he looked at the kid who's getting angry and he looked, he points at both of them. He says, you pull up, you pull up. And I'm thinking, drop a slip, pull up. What is happening here? What is going on? What does this even mean? Right. And, uh, I was in my head. I'm like, do I, what do I do? <laughs> you know, do I act like, do I try to step in and assert some control in this situation and tell them like, Hey, yeah, everybody start acting the way that you're supposed to act. Let's, uh, let's not behave as though we are, you know, going to do something that we're going to later regret or anything. I could do that. Right. That's crossing my mind, but that seems like a bad idea. I could pretend like I understand this, what's being said here. That also seems like a bad idea. So instead what I opt to do is say, excuse me, everybody, may I have your attention? I am a lame white person from the suburbs and I have no idea what you're talking about. Drop a slip. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're going to like stab this dude later? And everybody laughs. Everybody laughs when I say this. They, I mean like, and I don't mean like a little laugh. I mean, I get a good kind of cafawing, right? People thought that was hilarious. And, um, I'm like, and pull up. What, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're going to like, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to like, you know, do some other awful thing? Like what, what's, what is happening here? And, uh, the, the really big kid comes over to me and he says, you know, Mr. Gorman, here's what's going on here. We've got two peers that are clearly having an altercation. One peer, he looks at the loner kid and he says, it's clearly, clearly, clearly trying to drag my other peer. And he looks at the kid who's really angry into some negative ass bullshit and, uh, you know, what's going on here is this kid, he points to the angry one. He said to him that later on, what he's going to do is he's going to write down how he feels on a slip of paper. He's going to put that piece of paper in a box. And then later on, we're going to do this thing called slip group where this dude is going to come in and he's going to make them work through their feelings. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, and when I tell him to pull up, what I'm telling him to do is start, you know, acting the way they're supposed to act. And I was like, ah, got it. So drop a slip is not somebody getting stabbed. Pull up is not like gang warfare. He's like, no, man, it's not, it's not none of that stuff. And everybody thought this was really, really funny. And, and the weird thing is, is that, like I said, this happened on a Thursday and having that in that, this weird kind of like interaction where I had no idea what was going on and I absolutely owned the hell out of it. Like I, I have no idea what's going on in this situation. I don't understand what's happening here. And I, I, made light of my own misunderstanding. I, I, excuse me, everybody, I am a lame white man from the suburbs. Could you please tell me what is happening here? Does, uh, I'm going to drop a slip on you mean you're going to stab this guy. When I, when I said that it made everybody laugh. This was a situation where something that could have been embarrassing turned into something that was actually hilarious. And on top of that, what ended up happening is that group of kids the next day that I was there Friday and then into the following week, I had like almost no issues with that group. They, they thought I was funny. They're like, this guy's hilarious. This, this lame white dude from the suburbs is actually funny. You know, he doesn't take himself seriously. He's not like trying to get in our faces and tell us whatever. Like he's all right. I had a really, really good luck with that group of kids. There's other groups of kids that didn't see this happen. And they continued to do the thing where they were like, kind of like pushing my buttons or trying to, you know, trying to, trying to see how far they could take it doing things that you weren't supposed to do, saying things you weren't supposed to say. Like I had more issues with these other groups. And when I, I remember when these two weeks came to an end, one of the things that I left this place thinking 
is, huh, you know, I learned something here. I learned that if I'm in a scenario, I'm in a situation where I don't understand what's going on, one possible move, it's not always going to be the best one, but one possible move is to just like really radically claim my own lack of understanding, my own lack of knowledge, as opposed to trying to do what I used to do when I was a younger man, where I tried to hide it. I tried to hide what I didn't know. I tried to hide how much I couldn't understand or how ignorant I was of things. And it didn't usually work out very well. And in this situation where rather than trying to hide it, I was just like, hey, guess what? I'm a dude who knows nothing. I'm not even going to try to uh, pretend as if that's not the case. I ended up, you know, having my life get a lot easier, ultimately. So yeah, that's my story. And I think that wraps up this episode of The Gorman Limit. Thank you for taking the time to download it, for listening to it. I appreciate that. If you're into this kind of thing, you can go over to thegormanlimit.com. That's a website that I've made for this podcast and some other things that I'm doing. And uh, yeah, that's it. Glad that you had me in yours this week. Hopefully you'll have me in yours again sometime in the future when I make another one of these. Till then, make glorious mistakes. <laughs> <laughs>